another part of the Glorantha Initiation Series, where we talk to members of a tribe who recently joined the God Learner Studies. The God Learner Podcast wants to investigate how people uh, comparatively new to Glorantha experience the world. What are the rewards? What are the hurdles when approaching this setting? So, we have another guest today. Please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm uh, Scott Reinhardt. Uh, I'm in the uh, States over in Southern California, uh, specifically Orange County, a little bit south of Los Angeles. Hi, Scott. Hi. <laughs> so almost where Runquist was born. <laughs> yeah, about, uh, I don't know, a few hundred miles south, I believe. Yeah. 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 The, the, this might, uh, depending on how old you are, this might let you better understand the uh, wacky Californian uh, weed culture references that are uh, scattered in the early Glorantha that we might not get. Yes. I, I will, however, make the proviso that I am not a native Californian. Um, I grew up in uh, the U.S. Southwest and primarily oh. Texas and New Mexico. I moved here a little over oh. 20 years ago, uh, but I still have not at always <laughs> assimilated to being a Californian. My wife, who is a native Californian, uh, will still make fun of me sometimes uh, I get the culture yeah. wrong so not, not yeah. too much uh weed smoking hippies in Texas <laughs> we have a few especially in New Mexico New Mexico's big on stuff like that <laughs> but yeah yeah I guess in Texas add. there might be a few in Austin right yeah yeah Austin's a very artsy community so yeah see that okay yeah <laughs> so how did you get into RPGs uh wow well I it started with um You know, I'm going to blame it on when I was a kid, I saw the original um, Rankin-Bass Hobbit and Return of the King cartoons, yeah. uh, animated ones that they'd done, and the uh, the cartoon for The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, those are the ones I remember anyway, which got me into a love of fantasy and science fiction. So I started reading. That's how my mom got me into reading initially. I started off at a very low reading rank in school, and she got me reading by getting me the right kind of books, sci-fi fantasy books. <laughs> and uh, then she couldn't stop me reading. Wait, um, so she couldn't get my nose out. Did you start by reading The Hobbit, or did you start by reading The Lord of no, the Rings? No, neither. <laughs> started on other stuff. But by, by I think I had read The Hobbit by age eight. Um, wow, nice. and then started oh. and I didn't get in Lord of the Rings it was a little bit older I got in I started to try to read that in middle school even then it was a little hard I don't think yeah, I really fell in love with that one in high school until high school but yeah. it was a lot of other stuff I read his other like some of the short stories like uh the fairy star and farmer of uh former Giles of Ham anyway but uh so I think my mom knew I loved that and then in 1981 when I was 10 they came out with the Moldvay basic set um what when people say the red box that's what i think of i think most people mean the mensa red box which came out i think 85 a few years later but uh some people refer to it as the pink box but nonetheless that was my <laughs> my initial one was the uh the that moldvay basic set and i loved it i ate it up um i didn't understand it right away it took me a year or two before <laughs> i really got the rules uh but i was still trying to play it with my friends trying to design my own role playing games um i got the expert box after that And probably within a few years had AD&D and then games like Merp and Shadowrun and Star Wars, the Western version, and a bunch of games that I probably only very, there's several games I probably never played. You know, like like now, I probably own three times as many role-playing games as I've ever played. 
but yes, um, yes. you know, collecting RPGs and, yeah. and playing yeah. RPGs are two different hobbies. It is. And it was the <laughs> same back then. I, I had a lot more than I played. And a lot of my play was just in my imagination. You know what they say? Lonely yes. fun. My, <laughs> my play group was very sparse. Um, and, uh, you know, I had a few friends that played, but even then, most of the time we ended up doing other stuff. Uh, so playing was very sparse. So a lot of it was just in my mind, but I loved it. Uh, but then somewhere in the... Were uh, you the gym back then? Occasionally. Uh, my little brother was probably the most consistent player. And so I would GM him through little solo adventures. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, and occasionally with my friends, but we'd kind of take turns with that. Uh, there were yeah. a few other guys that did it too. Uh, but then about the time I left for college, I decided that... Um, I was a nerd, you know, which meant, of course, that I was not the most popular kid in school. Um, and uh, I decided I was tired of, of being unpopular and not having much of a social life uh, outside of like the three or four friends that I hung out with. Um, so I decided I wanted to change that in college and kind of branch out. And one of the changes I made, unfortunately, was not only just stopping role playing games, but getting rid of them all. I tossed all my old books and I really wow. regret that now. Oh, yeah. um, did, and you, I, did you toss out any, any super collector's item? Yeah, I'm sure. Like I had all the original Western games, Star Wars books, the, uh, the first edition Shadowrun. And, and some of these I've replaced since then. They're probably more expensive than they should have been at this point, but <laughs> not all of them. Um, yeah. But I miss having the originals, you know, the ones that I had growing up. There was probably a lot of nostalgic value that I would have valued there. But yeah, I, I went on that, what they call the deep freeze, uh, that hiatus for close to 20 years. And wow. I only came out, I think, 2012. Yeah. I, I kind of came back out of that from like 91 to 2012. What, what made you came back? Um, again, I am a, uh, a, a dyed-in-the-wool Middle-earth Tolkien lover. And uh, they had just put out the One Ring uh, role-playing game, Cubicle 7 had back then and i bought that more for my love of tolkien uh just wanted to check it out uh and i had a buddy who um we did not grow up anywhere near each other uh but had met post-college and uh he had also played role-playing games growing up and had gotten out of it and he said hey you know i noticed that on your shelf you ever interested in playing again i said you know that that could be fun you know i recognize now that role-playing games are a little more acceptable and i'm older and don't care as much about you know the social side of things. I, yes. I have, you know, I have good friends now. And, and honestly, I just, you know, I've, I've gotten old enough that I just often don't care as much about what other people think. So, um, so he said he got a, he got Pathfinder first edition because that was prior to D and D five E coming out a couple of years before that. And he said, I hear this is the best version of Dungeons and Dragons to play these days. So we started with that and played a little bit and then branched out, tried a few other games. Like we did the Marvel heroic and, uh, the newest Star Wars, um, uh, not Outer Rim, whatever it's called. Um, uh, Edge of the Empire? Edge of the Empire, there yes. you go. And uh, tried a few games, and then when 5e came out, we jumped pretty much whole hog into that. Um, started playing some Adventure League games and things like that. So yeah, that was that was kind of what got me back into it, is, is having a friend that said, let's try this. And I was like, yeah, that could be fun. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I didn't hear any Chaosium game among these, not even Call of Duty. Nope. <laughs> Sorry about that. I was, uh, I was aware of the Chaosium games, Call of Duty and RuneQuest, primarily through Dragon Magazine, the ads they had in that yeah. back then. But I'd never, it, it wasn't until 
post-college, I think, that I actually read Lovecraft for the first time and loved him. But I, I just, for some reason, never got into him. I, I think I just wasn't into horror. Um, and I associated him with horror. Now I would say he's not even really, he's not horror like a lot of other horror authors are. He's, no. he's got a lot more fantasy into him. Uh, but um, yeah, I didn't, I just didn't, that didn't scratch my itch back then. So yeah, I never, I never really played any Chaosium games. I can't, at least I, that, that I can remember. There might be one that I'm just not thinking of. It was Chaosium, but yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't yeah. really big on my radar. So when did that change? How did you encounter Garantha? Um, primarily, like I said, kind of aware of it through Dragon Magazine ads back in the day. Um, although at the time, I probably thought it was some kind of D&D either ripoff <laughs> or there were a lot of third third party uh, yeah. people producing play aids for D&D. And I probably thought it was something like that. I, I don't remember exactly what I thought. <laughs> But um, about the time I was coming out of... My deep freeze. I uh, picked up copies of Designers and Dragons because oh, I was I was uh, getting a little yeah. nostalgic. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember all those games <laughs> I used to love. And so I picked up that and and started reading that through. And one of the things in there was the um, is it Shannon Applegate? I believe is the writer. Uh, yes. Mentioned yeah, Apple Klein. Yeah. Apple Klein. There you go. Sorry, <laughs> all the listeners who might not know, Designers and Dragon is a series of uh, four books. Although I think there might be other books in, in the works that are basically a, a historical account of the hobby through the like you know the first book is the 70s, the second book is the 80s, etc., etc., etc. And there are chock full of really awesome anecdotes mm -hmm. about the industry and, and all that and publishers. But uh, yeah. yeah really good i would highly recommend them uh especially if you yeah. if you played back then uh and if you're at all into history I mean, they're really good books but number, yeah. i read in there uh they were talking about glorantha or really RuneQuest, and how popular it was back in the day and how it was up there with like dungeons and dragons and traveler and call of cthulhu and stuff like that and i remember thinking oh i, I never checked that game out i don't know really much at all about it uh and so i i was getting back into it and i was reading a lot of role-playing game type stuff and so I, i checked out amazon i think and i found uh copies of the uh the second edition reprint that they had uh i was this is after the kickstarter but they were selling it and so i got my i got a copy of that and read through it and was honestly a little disappointed because there's just <laughs> not a lot of lore or depth to the setting yes. in that in that initial rule book uh which is kind of what i was looking for you know system could come and go uh, i was looking for what's the special about the setting everybody mm -hmm. talked about how great the setting was and yes so uh i don't remember it might have been a year or so later they they came out with the slipcase for the seventh edition mm -hmm. And so I picked that up thinking, okay, well, that's thicker. Surely it will have more <laughs> on the lore. Um, and I, I ended up getting, I think, uh, I ended up doing the source book and I think PDF copies of the guidebook and some of the older supplements mm -hmm. and started trying to get into it and kind of had a roadblock there. Yeah. So, but that was, that was what got me initially kind of checking out Glorant that was Designers and Dragons. Oh, and wanting nice. to know Yeah. And you hit a roadblock because it was too thick, actually. Yeah, in a sense, there was a lot, <laughs> a lot to the setting and careful what you wish for. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it was <laughs> it was obscure to me. Um, yes. you know, yeah. I'm a again died in the wool Tolkien fan. I'm into I was very much into that 
high fantasy, middle ages-ish setting. Um, that's what appealed to me. And that's the books I read and such were generally set in that. And while, yeah. you know, Bronze Age, mainly Mediterranean, Greek, Roman, you know, that kind of Egyptian, that era is interesting. I haven't read a lot of fiction or games or anything set in that era. So it just, it was hard. I didn't really have a, a solid like hook into that, I guess. Yeah. When, when you say fantasy, it's so pervasive that everybody's going to hang on to like some Tolkien-esque thing. Mm-hmm. And then you say Bronze Age fantasy. And then, you know, I think most people are going to pause and go, wait, okay. You know, searching their brain for a pop culture reference or some other reference that can, they can yeah. use to kind of put two and two together and see like, oh yeah, that's what it looks like. And it's, it, it takes, it takes a little, it takes a few seconds at least to go and like, oh yeah, no, yeah. I see what that yeah. could look like. Yeah. I have to say uh, that I don't see a lot of middle ages and middle earth really. Middle Earth no, is, a, is say, a, uh, Middle Ages really ish. <laughs> yes. Middle Earth uh, comes closer to a migration era or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But but a lot of the the culture, like when you think of the architecture of Middle Earth, even the weaponry and stuff, that's still a little closer, I think anyway, to the the Middle Ages. And Tolkien himself was definitely closer to like the source material he drew from and and things like that were very often Middle Ages uh, era, I believe. Oh, the Mabinogion is uh, pre-Arthur. What what we think of as Middle Ages, I guess. Yeah, if, if you yeah. dig into it, there yeah. there are definite discrepancies. Yeah. You're right. Okay, yeah. I grew up in Viking con- uh, country, so uh, my idea of <laughs> interesting history is a, bit, a little bit different than Middle Ages. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's um, you know as as good a designer as Greg Stafford is, I don't think his fiction has ever really grabbed me. I don't think he's ever really grabbed me as a fiction writer. So when I'm reading things like the source book and the guidebook and such, it was harder for me to get into. Uh, But also just the, it just seemed like a lot of the time the references he would make to things or other writers would make to things where it seemed like almost they were assuming that I knew things that I did not. Um, I remember reading one account about how this city was attacked by the red bat. And I'm like, what's the red bat? I don't, I don't <laughs> yeah. understand that, that reference. Or yeah. even, even when they're talking about like God time and stuff, because it's so bizarre thinking about something that lives outside of, of time and, mm-hmm. you know, and what we think of as chronology, mm-hmm. that, that idea just, it's hard to, to kind of glom onto so it, I think that that obscurity from my <laughs> from what I was used to was was probably what was throwing yeah. what still throws me off a lot. Yeah, for me, I, I think it was uh, it was in the Crimson Bat, but it was stuff like um, oh yeah, there is a stationary moon hovering over Gunnertel. Mm-hmm. Like when, mm-hmm. when, where, where? Like <laughs> yeah. I had to flip back, or I think in the early weeks and months of reading, you do quite a few double takes where you go like, oh, yes. when, 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 oh yes, when, when did this happen? <laughs> and yeah, so um, my my journey into Glorantha uh, had me start a lexicon. <laughs> 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 yes. Yep. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> mm. 
But uh, yeah, uh, the thing about God time, it's I think there's it's quite modern nowadays because it's just a set of memes uh, sitting there, mm-hmm. and the memes are unchanging. Yeah, our interpretation of those. Yeah, uh, whether we say myth or meme doesn't uh, change a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's one of the great things about Glorenta because it's original, but it's one of the obscure <laughs> thing about Glorenta because it's original. So when you yeah. encounter it the first time, you go like, "What the what the hell is that?" Yeah, yeah. So, um, and, and, so. and I think of most of the fantasy settings that I have experience with are still set in a mostly real world. Where, th- where the world is, for the most part, like the world is round, uh, you know, physical laws work similarly, except where occasionally a very rare magical effect causes it not to. Um, yeah. Glorantha is not like that. The world is flat. Yeah. The, you know, um, rivers run upward for magical reasons. There's a moon that hovers over a city without causing massive gravitational effects. Uh, you know, there's, there's these bizarre magical effects because the world is made of magic yeah. and doesn't operate the same way our world would. And so I think that that also makes it a little harder to kind of get right off. Yeah. yeah. And then I think Glorantha is only the second most popular uh, flat world. There's, of course, Terry Petra's Discworld. Yes. I, and I love Discworld. <laughs> and I, I think maybe the disconnect is Terry Patrick doesn't take it seriously. It's it's he's he it's all tongue in cheek you know it's elephants all the way down you know that kind of thing yes. um, it's it's you know I mean lots lots of people also don't take it seriously in Glorantha either yeah um, but, <laughs> but but many yeah, do <laughs> yeah but they yeah. they kind of do yes yeah um, yeah but then the same with this Discord really uh, Pratchett wouldn't have written it uh, if he didn't love it true yes yeah true yeah, 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 yes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I would I would say Discworld um, doesn't lean into it much past the joke. But yeah, so you said this was a hurdle. Did you overcome this hurdle, or are you still struggling against it? Still struggling. Um, <laughs> I have, and and as I understand it, the best way to get into Glorantha is to play. Yeah. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, I don't have a lot of people around me that play or are even interested in yeah. playing most of my friends it's hard to get them to break out of dungeons and dragons um, <laughs> yes the, the, the play groups that i play with locally um and you know as as online especially as covid has hit this last year and i've had a lot more opportunities to play online mm-hmm. more games have opened up uh, i have since gotten to play twice one shots at two different cons mm-hmm. um they were okay but I don't think it was enough to really grasp Glorantha or RuneQuest as a rule set. Yeah. Um, you know, I've played I've played some Call of Cthulhu since then, and I've, I've realized that the basic uh, role playing game yeah. uh, role playing rules are good. I like the percentage percentile system. It's easy to grasp. It's intuitive, even though you're really never good at anything um, that you should be. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so so in that in that instance, RuneQuest as a rule set is not that hard to get. Yeah. Uh, but the 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 world and wanting to play in that world is is I think where the the big hurdle is. Yeah. yeah. And I just I haven't had a lot of opportunity to really do that. And uh, like I think uh, we were talking before this started, Ludo and I. And when I when there has been opportunity, it's there's often been something else that I already know I want to play mm-hmm. that has gotten in the way. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's a choice between do you want to play this or do you want to yes. play 
you know, the one ring, or do you want to play this? You want to play, you know, whatever it might be. And I'm like, well, I already know I love the one ring. So I'm going to go with that. So one one thing I would point out is that when I was mostly getting acquainted with the, with the setting, you know, you get all of those things where you go like, oh no, I still don't quite grasp it. Uh, or I still, I'm still missing a bunch of stuff. Like, you know, every time you turn the page, there's a new thing jumping at you. You go, oh, that's how it is. But then when you actually start playing, you realize that, you know, half of those concerns or all those things don't actually matter too much because I don't know, you're just a bunch of starterites looking for stolen cows. And so, you know, whether yeah. whether the GM describes that, oh yeah, there's the moon hovering over the distance or not is kind of irrelevant. Although it's kind of cool when the GM does mm-hmm. that. So when when you actually stop playing that I think that's why many people stay say start small because when you start small a lot of those big things don't matter so yeah. Um, yeah so it's it's definitely a thing where you go iteratively into it mm-hmm. the problem is that when you get those books you get the full blunt of 40 years of people who have been iterating on it right so if you were yeah. to start from RQ2 where, where you say you know oh there's only 12 pages of setting and that's it <laughs> you only have 12 pages of setting and so yeah you could, you, you, you could fast yeah. forward through 40 years of iteration of those 12 pages or grab the entire guide to Glorita right away but yeah mm. yeah it's uh you know i want i want a drink and instead of giving me you know a, a water fountain they give me the fire hose Yes. Um, which you know, <laughs> kind of blows me away. Yeah. Um, it's hard to know where to start. And I, I know you guys yeah. actually mentioned in one of your early podcasts that one of the good resources is the uh, the online comic book. Uh, what's yeah. it called? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, there you go. Um, and so I tried reading that. And while it's interesting and I appreciate the little like notes they put in below the, the comic strip itself, again, it was hitting me with like the high concept stuff. Yeah. Um, and... <laughs> The again, I, I often felt like there was assumption that I should know some stuff that I didn't yet know. Like, yeah. like when they, the first comic where it starts off with the kid who's going to go challenge, you know, this great empire, and I'm like, well, who is that empire, and why, why is this a concern, and you know, and all this stuff. I feel like, like you were saying, Ludo, I need to kind of get past all the big stuff and get down to, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm a villager, or I'm a, I'm a guy starting in in Pavis who just wants to go visit the big rubble for treasure or whatever. Um, I need that kind of stuff to kind of sell me on it, the the lower level end of it. In that case, I wonder whether you would like a 13th age Glorantha because that's uh, the D20 system. Mm -hmm. And it has an approach which can serve the more well, uh, you you meet uh, in a tavern or in a camp some, uh, somewhere and join forces to solve something. It goes uh, deep quite quickly as well, mm-hmm. but it does so from a more familiar base. I've tried a few other things too. I tried there's the uh, the couple of uh, video games uh, like uh, King of Dragon Pass and Six yeah. Ages. I don't think those grab me because it's it's more like tribal level and you're you're trying to yeah. get your tribe to survive and yeah. So again, and the lore was very deep in those two. What I really I think long for is at least a halfway decent writer or several writers to write some good fiction 
um, for, for Glorantha to kind of, to sell me on it. Yeah. Like, I think somebody has, 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 has compared Glorantha to, to, um, I'm probably going to slaughter the pronunciation of this, but Tecumel, um, the, the Empire of the Petal Throne game, um, to the depth of the world, but also kind of the obscurity because it's not what we, at least in the Western world are used to in our paradigm. Yeah. And I agree in, in that, you know, I, I also, for the same reason, because it was in Designers and Dragons and it was one of the early, earliest fantasy games, uh, I checked yeah. out, you know, Empire of the Petal Throne and Tecumel and stuff when I was first coming back and found it also obscure. Uh, even harder yes. to find games with that, though, than RuneQuest. <laughs> uh, but yeah. the, uh, the professor who wrote it, whose name I'm yeah. not going to remember. Mohamed Abdelrahman Barker. Barker, yes, Professor Barker, uh, and I, you're right. I don't remember his his Muslim name, uh, but he uh, he did write a series of fantasy novels. Yeah, and I read the first couple of those, and they kind of helped me understand the world a little better. I don't still, I don't really love Technical. I don't, I don't hate it. I just don't, you know, it's just yeah. not something yeah. that I really like. Yeah, I just want to go play that. But at least the novels kind of gave me an, an idea of if I was an adventurer starting off in this world, this is yes. why it would be interesting. So you want a novelization? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, you're not alone. <laughs> there have been attempts. Uh, there's, uh, for example, uh, there was a novel by John Boyle, or John E. Boyle, which was originally uh, meant to be in uh, Sata and Dragon Pass, but yeah. now plays out in the Hittite Empire. Okay. I'll link to that in, uh, in the show notes, and well, send you, uh, send you a link as well. Thanks. Yeah, I was going to say the Griselda Tales. Um, yes. That's the closest I've come and kind of enjoyed those. But they're more focused on kind of the drama around this central figure, Griselda. Yeah. And it mentions her going into like the big rubble or doing these things, but it doesn't actually show, at least the ones I read, it doesn't show a lot of her actual adventure, um, which is what I would love to see. But they are well-written and I did enjoy them. I'd recommend those at least. Yes. Um, that's the closest yeah, thing fun. I've seen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, those were. Uh, there's one in the big uh, in the Pavis book, and that really uh, also was the first thing that made Pavis come to life for me. Okay, I'll check that out. But then, of course, we are uh, gathering around about the Beturian, Travels of Beturian Vorosh series in the book Cards of Prax. Mm. Mm-hmm. I've and heard of that. I haven't read those yet. Well, um, we are talking about that, those in our podcast. Hmm. I'm not cut up. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, fine. But yeah, you you know how the RuneQuest rulebook has like the Vasana saga that kind of mm-hmm. uh, yeah. tells the story of Vasana kind of half as an example of the rules. Um, and so Cult of Prax, which dates back to like what? 81, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it was, was basically a, a, a splat book of cults. And same thing, it had this uh, traveling merchant called Bitter and Varush that kind of travels through Prax and has encounters with various of those cults. So it also kind of brings the setting to life while also yeah. illustrating a bit of, of those cults that the book talks about. Um, and so I always like those, those kinds of little sagas that are in the RuneQuest uh, source books because... Uh, because yeah, yeah, they they really bring the setting to life for me. Mm-hmm. But uh, but really, I mean, I 
I really liked starting with just the way I think Chaosium wants you to start, which is the quick start uh, with the broken tower scenario, yeah. because I think it's it's great. Like when you were saying about like you know the the big big stuff like the big empire and the whatever. It's like no, it's like it's your clan. There's the clan next door who stole your cows. Go find it, <laughs> and then on the way you encounter you know many things that make the Bronze Age setting, Bronze Age, like, you know, shamans and spirits and, and mm. gods and things like that. And, yeah. and I thought it's, I really like it as a, as a first contact. Yeah. And, I, and I understand, at least I've been told by fans that the starter set is going to solve all the needs of, of them never having oh, it easy to get into adventures. We'll, we'll, we'll see when we get it, but, uh, yeah. well, uh, Jurg has it. Uh, so I have it. I, yeah. I'm still stuck in the solo adventure, which is a, a, great, a great help, of course, yeah. if you want to play a game and have nobody to play it with. Mm-hmm. So, Okay, that's that's good to know it has one of those. Maybe I'll check that out. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, so far, my Vasana has a very bad day. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> which is fun. Yeah, okay. <laughs> But yeah, uh, no, uh, doesn't didn't have any real success yet. <laughs> okay, and I do know I've never played them, but back back in the day in the eighties, they actually produced I want to say like three solo adventures. Yeah, um, and, I haven't uh, played them, but yeah, uh, uh, yeah, and, and another one hidden in the Rufus Companion. I've played two of those old ones. because yeah. those were how many I got at the time. Uh, they are typical uh, the harder dungeon bashing t- uh, type. Okay. Which is quite lethal if you're playing with Runquist rules. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they always take up the left leg, right? Which which is funny. You know, I've heard uh, people, uh, especially uh, I think most recently, and this where I met Ludo through the uh, Grognard files, and uh, they talk about Runquist quite a bit because that's what they started with. Um, and that was, they said, it, it always seemed to be the left leg. And sure enough, I, I'm in these con games, these two con games, and 75, 80% of the hits seem to be the left leg. It's very bizarre. <laughs> so I'm sure there's some statistic that would explain that, but yeah. Yeah, funny that. You, you would think that the dice would be optimized for headshots. Yeah, you'd wish, but no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure there's a, what's his name, Luzoki? rant yeah. about <laughs> uh, mass-produced dice having uh, non-uniform uh, statistics of yeah. results yeah. and things like that. And that's, yeah. that's what messes up your location. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what a few people don't realize, uh, the setting of Garantha and the Empire was first uh, explored in a board game. Mm-hmm. So what, red... Uh, red. Moon, white, uh, white bear, bear and red moon, okay. white bear and red moon, or later on dragon pass. Mm-hmm. Okay, that game uh, I recently revisited it, uh, showing it to some people who just uh, acquired it. And uh, that game already has this: you're, you're playing in these myths, mm. you're, you're replaying the story, and now I know the story, and I'm replaying this game. It even gets better. Yeah, that was a lot of background uh, just assumption from looking at those images from uh, moving those armies around which got you into the vibe for the conflict between the satirites and the lunar empire okay so the uh and i, I know and, and this thankfully did not occur at my table but i hear the you know the common question that always comes up with a lot of one-shot games is somebody shows up and asks what year it is because they want to know kind of what's where they are in the setting uh, 
I wouldn't ever know enough to think, to realize, understand, you know, they did say a year where we were, but it, it, correct me if I'm wrong. The current setting of the game is actually just prior to the lunar satellite conflict. The big one where it boils over, uh, is that correct? Well, yeah, um, the former one uh, just was ended when most of the lunar occupation army was eaten by a dragon. Mm-hmm. Oh, that has already happened? Yeah, okay. that so has already happened. Okay. That's the current year. Okay, yeah. so the, the RuneQuest 2 era was during the lunar occupation of Sartar. And, oh. they, and so they advanced the timeline by a few years for the new edition of RuneQuest. And they said, okay, you know, we are, we have played enough under the occupation of the Lunars. We've been playing in there for 40 years. So yet they advanced by a few years. So the Dragon Rise, as it's called, where the dragon eats most of the army, has just happened. And so the new rune quest is set just after that as the Lunars are running away. The Sartorites are all happy, but the Lunars are going to come back and there's, there's still a threat. Be, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. There, there's still a threat because, of course, they um, they are not happy of belt having been eaten. So mm-hmm. um, so they are going to come back, and there's going to be more more battles and and more. Gotcha. Of that. So, yeah. So so now there's kind of a power vacuum at least in the Dragon Pass area where okay exactly which okay. which is actually why there are two main figures, uh, Kalir Starbro and Argrath, which are kind of plus a couple other ones that are kind of converging to take the the throne of Sartar to become the king of Sartar. But yeah, so it's power vacuums and looming threats of war are always good for a role-playing game setting. Yeah. Although, yeah, when, when I hear old old Grognards talk about the games, the, the big, fun RuneQuest campaigns and such that they run, they never seem to happen in Dragon Pass. It's always Griffin Mountain or... Uh, Pavis and the Big Rubble, or yes, yes. such like that. Bragan Pass seems to be like a central part of the storyline, but yeah. yes. doesn't always seem to feature in the adventuring role playing side of things. Yeah, well, yeah, all the Request uh, two ex- uh, scenarios were either on the River of Cradles or in uh, the Elder Wilds with Griffin Mountain. Well, mm-hmm. Apple Lane is in Saltar, but yeah, most of the other yeah, ones. Yeah, Apple Lane isn't that much of a campaign. Yeah. Although, yes, we are revisiting it again. Mm-hmm. I think what happens is that when you're in Sartar, you're kind of playing at home. So you have your clan and your tribe and all that, and you can't really be much of a murder hobo. So I think <laughs> I think a lot of the old school, uh, a lot of the old school players back in the eighties and nineties, they probably said, uh, "Okay, you know, I." I grew up in this clan, but now I'm going adventuring, and you're going adventuring in the north, in the Erdo Wilds, or you go in the east to yeah. Prax and blah, blah. So, uh, yeah, I think it's because of that, but I could be wrong. I, don't know. I can totally see that. It started out with, uh, we are going to exile because we did something uh, the uh, authorities didn't like. Mm, <laughs> yes. Okay. We, we, burned, we burned down somebody's town. And, uh, well, um, uh, we, we robbed the uh, lunar tax men and now they want the double, uh, tax doubled and our clan isn't happy about that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Stuff uh, like if, that. <laughs> if, if you were to start uh, a game of RuneQuest, do you know what, what you would be going for? Having a clue. No, I, I would I would probably actually want to find a group that was either starting with the starter set or the quick start yeah. just to kind of get an idea. But um, the two games I played, I, I 
the first one, and they were both pre-gen characters, but um, first one, I was a human that I think in, in at least D&D terms, I know that everybody has magic, but I think yeah. in D&D terms, I probably would have been closest to a cleric because I was probably the strongest healer in the group. And uh, in the second one, I was a, is it baboons? that yeah. Or orangutan, I forget, baboon. Yeah, there are baboons, uh, baboon. yeah. Yeah, I was, I was a baboon, which was kind of weird, uh, kind of like playing a duck. I'm like, this is not, you know, I'm used to elves, dwarves, you know, humans are at the extreme end, like halflings and half orcs. And um, so a baboon, of all things. Uh, but I was a cop in uh, Bolt Home. Uh, oh, nice. Or a militia. Yeah, a militia member, but basically we were the police. Um, so... You know, kind of weird characters that I, I would not normally have have chosen for myself, but it was it was fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and you're pretty strong when you play your baboon. Yes, yeah. Although that did not come out during the game, I I just basically I, I roll a lot of bad bad oh, rolls, no. and so every every time I attempted to do something where I would have shown off my baboon strength, I would fumble or something like that. So, <laughs> oh, <laughs> it did yeah. not work out that way. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. The luck of dice. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I I don't honestly, yeah, if I jumped in, I don't know what I would start off with. I tend to with with a new game, it's it's always easiest in most games to start off with the fighter role where you're just good at combat. Because it's easy usually to to get into it. It's you don't have to know the magic system. You don't have to know, you know, yeah. how to all the thief abilities or um, you know, it's, you just have yeah. to know, okay, my, my character <laughs> swings a weapon really good. Yeah. Um, so Although maybe I, mean, I would start off with that just to kind of get the, the, the general feel of it and then try to branch out from there. Although yeah. That's, um, that's one of the problems, I guess, maybe, or with request yeah. is that even when you are a fighter, you need to know mm-hmm. to use your magic because going yeah. into a fight with or without, you know, your blade sharp enhancement on your blade and, your counter magic or shield to add protection to yourself that that can make a lot of difference so yeah so yeah it's there there is a higher barrier to entry compared to other games because yeah. of that because even if you yeah. say you know fuck it i i just want to hit things with the blades like oh no hold on there yeah. you, know? yeah. you, still need, you still need to worship you still need to cast, cast your magic you still need to so yeah it's it's tricky and and your uh, fighter is as fragile as a first level ad and d wizard yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yes don't forget armor on that left leg yeah yeah you know kind of going back uh, as well i think you know we were kind of really scoffing but commenting about how the uh you know older adventures were very much murder hobo adventures yeah. but the nice thing about the murder hobo adventures is it's easy to grasp okay i'm going to go into this cave i'm going to beat up these monsters i'm going to get the treasure that's fun um there's a reason why that's popular it's the same reason i think that games like grand theft auto are popular mm-hmm. because it's it's fun to just like say i'm not going to worry too much about the morality of my character right now i'm just going to do what i want and try to try to you know get reward and beat up on some people stuff i would never do in real life yeah um there's there's a there's a popularity to that and there's an ease to that so it's it's an easy entry to to kind of have that type of adventure i guess yeah Um, Yeah. versus the understanding your your clan and, and how they relate to this tribe over here and and how how your uh your actions are also going to be judged by your cult and 
you know, yeah. that, that requires a much bigger headspace. It's harder to grasp, especially if you just want a few hours of fun. So oh, yeah. go cut a rating. Yeah. What's that? Kettle go kettle rating. rating. Yes. <laughs> That's uh, uh, Grand Theft and a Love, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the difference is, you know, there, there might be less escapism in a game where you have responsibilities to your family and you're mm-hmm. trying not to anger your mother-in-law too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's, 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 it's more fun that rewards long-term play where you really want to get into those characters and that culture yeah. and such than, than one shots. That's where 13th age Glorenta yes. gives you the, the, the dungeon bashing murder hobo experience in, in the Glorantha where that's okay. As opposed to yeah. other games, yeah. Glorantha where it's like, Oh no, wait, you have loyalties and you have responsibilities yeah. and things. Well, yeah. you still have responsibilities in 13th age as well. I mean, you still have cults. Mm-hmm. In a way, so. Mm-hmm. But uh, then, uh, in other games, you may have alignment or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't if, know if, if anybody ever plays their alignment. Though. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure anybody played them. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Uh, or if That's you have I, had if you had an encounter with a vampire, also you have that your clans there. Yeah. 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 So the, uh, I think the most popular alignment. For, at least for AD&D players back then, it was chaotic neutral yeah. because it allowed you to basically do whatever you wanted, not worry about the consequences. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, people <laughs> like that. They don't. They don't want to worry with that sometimes. Well, uh, we uh, have, we have answered a lot of our usual questions without asking them. <laughs> You're welcome. Which is fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is there anything that you do actively that you want to advertise here? Not that I can think of. I don't have a huge online presence. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Rhino, R-H-I-N-O, like the animal, 767. Uh, but I don't think I've posted anything in years. Um, I'm just <laughs> not much of a poster. If if you want to see, I'm most active on Discord. And probably the place, if you're going to see me post something, would be the Grognar Files Discord. Okay. Um, so uh, if, if you're looking for me, that's probably the place to find me where I'm actually going to Uh, say something occasionally but i'm not yeah i don't have a huge online presence myself other than the occasional online game that i enjoy playing would you be looking for an online game or i would in fact there is somebody on the uh grognon files that was threatening uh to play either the the starter set if it came if it got to them soon enough or the quick start And uh, they said, who'd be interested? And there were, I, I want to say there was like 20 of us to put our hand in there. So <laughs> we'll see. Um, but I said, yeah, you know, I'd like to actually get a, a good yeah. starting shot at it and see what that looks like. Yeah. If it works out time-wise or not, that's the question. Oh, actually, we didn't uh, ask you if there's any element of Glorantha you don't like or that you would you would, that you, you would like to see removed from the game like you know you don't want <laughs> like ducks, ducks or whatever <laughs> or you don't want baboons maybe you tried baboons and like nah no nothing that i can really think of um i guess i don't like how do i phrase this it's not necessarily i don't like it's more of i wish i wish there were um more of a And I guess there is. This this might be me and not having really grasped it yet. But um, the idea of my motivation as an adventurer beyond just going on a cattle raid. It's like um, Dirk the Dice from the Grognard Files said, you know, he came back to Glorantha after years away. And he's like, what's with all the cows? 
you know, <laughs> it's like where all these cows come from. You know, he was he was used to more of the murder hobo side, yeah. and that's that's easier to get. You know, that's the D and D side of things where I'm yeah. I'm used to. You go into a dungeon, you raid it. It's a little more complex these days with D and D, but it's still that that basic structure of here's your mission. There's some dark lord or there's some threat, and you need to go deal with it. Um, and uh, it's it's not as obvious in Glorantha, I guess, at least to me. Um, yes, there is the, okay, your, your loyalty is your clan. They've just, all their cattle have just been stolen. Yeah. Go get them. But that's yeah. not as exciting as go yeah. into this dungeon and deal with the orcs that are occupying it. And the, the, um, the big bad wizard that's, that's leading them or whatever. Um, <laughs> I so think half of it is probably Glorantha fans making the jokes about cows, because that's always funny. Yeah. Uh, the Broken Tower quick start and one of the Game Master Pack adventures also starting with cows. But yeah. pretty pretty quickly, I think a lot of the other adventures that are published, they probably give you that, like, uh, uh, you know, there's one adventure where you're supposed to go find some um, ancient cult item that is lost in some ruins uh, there's some other adventure where you have to um, go and free some people up that have disappeared in a valley and stuff like that. So, yeah, so it's it's a bit of maybe people making too many cow jokes. Or maybe. Um, but, and, and I understand, yeah. too, that like chaos is supposed to be a big deal. That's the big bad, right? In, in that. But yeah. from what I've experienced with the stories and the few adventures I've, I've either read or been a part of, um, chaos really never comes up. Um, it's Ooh. the Lunar Empire does a little bit, but even then it's conflict. It is the Lunar Empire really bad. It's hard to say. It yeah. depends on your perspective. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, there's, it, yeah, I there's, think that depends really on the... That uh, depends on the GM and on the yeah. amount of horror he wants to instill. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's um, one of those things where, you know, you could play Call of Cthulhu for... 10 years and then figure like wait a second i've never seen cthulhu because you know yeah, yeah. the the game master picked a bunch of adventures where it's all completely different monsters that you fight right so yeah. um, oh we're yeah. just uh, quite subtle and only slowly building up yeah. or that and, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's more yeah. political or yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and the one problem with chaos is that it's highly politically incorrect huh yeah. Well, it depends. So, um, I mean, you can you can throw some scorpion man. And, you can throw scorpion yeah. man. Those those aren't really chaotic. They are just monsters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, Beast man, uh, walk the yeah, pussies. But, but uh, if you have yeah. those uh, nasty head <laughs> nasty headhunters uh, with their uh, semi alive uh, heads gibbering at their belts, mm-hmm. that's something else. But that mm-hmm. may uh, drive away some of your players. Yeah. Because that could be you or your your friend or whoever. Yeah, and then there are the brews, which are one of the filthiest monster you may encounter. Yeah, and if only for the fact uh, that they are worshiping the goddess of disease, mm-hmm. smear everything with feces, and uh, well, uh, they poison you, they infect you when you fight them. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's not fun. It's not fun getting sick. Uh, especially not uh, <laughs> during a pandemic. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, I think but, it yeah. depends. I'm not sure. Now that I think about it, though, yeah, the 
the published scenarios so far for the new RuneQuest edition, I don't think they feature chaos too much. And so it's true that they they try to have a lot of different conflicts and opponents and dangers and things like that. Yes. Um, yeah. There's so, yeah. One, there's one big dive into bad undeath and chaos and Pegasus yeah. Plateau. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah, there's more undeath really than chaos in most of uh, these uh, scenarios. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And which, that's is okay. bad, which is it's bad easy. enough as a yeah. as a big bet. So yeah, yeah. You usually don't want undead unless you come across that village where they uh, operate the plows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, chaos can uh, be quite bad, and it can mm-hmm. end a g- campaign quite easily. That's mm-hmm. the, other, the other big problem. Chaos is yeah. powerful. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Well, I think we are almost uh, finished. We have a couple of uh, fun questions. Oh, okay. You want, you want to do the fun question because the, the other questions were not fun. <laughs> <laughs> Total, totally dreary. Um, yes. Yeah. Total, totally dreary. Yeah. Go for it. So, um, if if you have a choice, storm or moon? Oh, geez. I guess I'm going to go with storm because I think moon's too too hard to really get a grip on what their motivations are. Um, you know, are they, are they chaos? Sure. Are they order? Are they, yeah. you know, storm is very direct. It's like, both, <laughs> <of course. laughs> yes, They're storm both. is like, yeah, go, 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 you know, beat up stuff and, you know, yeah. have adventure. Violence is always an option. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Duck or Trollkin? Oh, um, you know, honestly, I don't know Trollkin motivation that much. But it still sounds a little more interesting than duck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think I think the trollkin motivations are mostly don't get eat. eaten by the don't get eaten by the other big trolls and find something to eat yourself. Yeah, and okay. I, I, can, I can get you know <laughs> yeah. food food being a good motivation. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> get food and avoid becoming food. Yeah. 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 Uh, do we do the pronunciation game? Uh, sure, yes. <laughs> so uh, we talked about the city along the Big Rubber. Do you know, do you know its name? I would say Pavis, but I, it could be Pavis. I'm not really sure. <laughs> I, I, the, the exactly. Pavis? Yeah. Pavis? Yeah. Sure, I don't know. There's no, there's no right and wrong answer. <laughs> but Stafford never published a pronunciation guide? <laughs> I uh, don't oh. think so. I don't know. What, uh, you're, actually, you're, actually you're he did. Oh, he did. Actually, okay. he did. He did. Okay. Yes, uh, but it's not exactly a standard uh, sound letter. So uh, it's in the prosopedia. Oh, I, although I mean, you've you've seen Greg talk at conventions, so you you, yes. you might remember how he pronounces things. Yes, but then I uh, encountered other people uh, there who had their own pronunciations. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's probable that you know, depending on where you are in Glorantha, people might pronounce it differently. So, makes know, sense. people yeah. of just just like here. Of Pavis might pronounce it different from somebody in this role. Yeah, talking about Pavis. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, your 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 Glorantan pronunciation might vary. Yes, yes. <laughs> and indeed, yes. <laughs> um, and maybe let's do. Uh, um, what is your favorite mount? Like a mount animal. I know there's a lot, especially on the the Praxis planes, aren't there? Um, yeah. Zebras and gazelle and all sorts of. Um, yeah. 
is there anybody that rides wolves? <laughs> is, is that a, is that a thing? I don't know. Uh, the Telmori wolf runners have a wolf companion. I don't know if they ride. But uh, they they don't can, ride it. They they, they yeah. run next to it and they transform into wolves. Uh, oh, there's there's one weird hero in Dragon Pass which rides a hellhound. Is that good enough for you? A hedgehog? A hellhound. Oh, hellhound. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, I think that hellhound is about uh, seven eight feet high. Oh, okay. In its tame version, and when it gets re uh, unleashed, it get, uh, grows in size. Wow! What's that? It's Etherist. So Etherist. He oh, didn't just right. he didn't just bring the nightmares with him. He also brought the Hellhound. Okay. Oh, nice. Yes, but there's <laughs> also um, like the followers of uh, Gagarth. What's his name? Doesn't he have like a, a ten-legged wolf uh, mount or something like that? Hmm. Oh, wow, that's a spirit. <laughs> I think I, I think there is like a well he definitely has a ten-legged something uh because somebody read too much Norse mythology. But yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, think, horses. Yeah, I think it's a wolf. <laughs> I think it's a wolf. It's part of the cult of the cold wind. So it's kind of like the bad brother of Orleth that, that is up in the north and is like the chilling wind or some something like that. Okay. Yeah. This this comes from um, growing up. I loved the uh, the ElfQuest comics uh, by the Peenies. And yes. they're elves all, ward, all road wolves. And I always thought that was really yeah. cool. Nice. So, yeah. <laughs> did you know that they had their own version of RuneQuest? I did not. No. I can, uh, I can see them. I don't know a lot about them, but I could see them being role players. Yeah, uh, there was an FQuest role playing game using basically oh. the RuneQuest rules. Oh, okay. So, you know what? I did. I had that. Um, I you had that. so there we go. I had a Chaosium game. I'd forgotten it was Chaosium <laughs> that put that out. Yeah, it I was never it was RuneQuest. Yeah, I never played it. So that's probably yeah. part of the disconnect. Is I never actually got yeah. to use. I, I had it more because I love the comics. And I probably bought it more for the source material than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes. in in uh, in Glorantan <laughs> fashion, uh, you are invited to write up a new cult or some kind of new uh, Sartorite clan that does ride wolves. And uh, yeah, but why uh, settle with wolves uh, down uh, way down south uh, beyond the Mostali border? People are riding dinosaurs. No, oh, that's yes. cool. Yeah. Okay. There's a T-Rex tribe. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, if the guy likes wolves, you know, let him have his wolves. Yeah. No, that could work. Uh, you know what? The second one, if uh, are there any rhinoceros riders? Yes, in Prex. Okay. There we go. I, oh, I, yes. I go with rhinoceros for the second one. Oh, nice. uh, for the simple fact of uh, due to my last name, that is that has been my longtime nickname. <laughs> oh. Friends will call me as Rhino. So uh, I'll, I'll go with my, my namesake. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. There is, there is a rhinoceros tribe, so yeah, okay. definitely go with that. Yeah, cool. Okay, I think we're through with most of our silly questions. Yeah, well, okay. thanks a lot for uh, talking to us. <laughs> that was um, fun, and um, well, we hope you find the game. Thank you, appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the God Learners Glorantan Initiation Series. The intro music is Dancing Tiger by Dam Scray. The outro music is Islam Dream by Serge Quadrado. You can find us online at godlearners.com or on Twitter and Facebook at The God Learners. See you next time. Question everything to the void and beyond.